These are Deep Thoughts, and I'm Deep Shah. Thanks for listening. Today I have my friend Jess on the show. Thanks for coming on, Jess. Hey, Deep. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've spoken and seen each other, actually. So Jess and I just grabbed brunch at Chevella's. Great food. It was food. delicious. It was. I got the biggest plate of food there. It was a disaster. I knocked over our pan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our pan dulce. Um, rip pan dulce, but... It was delicious. I love going there. It's really good. Um, it's right near me, and I feel like it's one of those things, because the closer you have, the closer you are to something, or once you get what you want, the harder it is to appreciate it, and like that appreciation kind of goes away. I think um, we were just talking about on the walk here from Chevella's how close I am to the botanical garden and the museum and how the garden is something that I've always wanted to be close to. And now that I'm here, I haven't been once. You have absolutely no excuse now. Spring is almost here. The cherry blossoms are about to start blooming. You have to get your membership immediately. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, just being near... Um, any sort of nature is just so good for people. It is for me. It has been for me in general. Um, just walking outside and seeing leaves and trees and just having that atmosphere is just so peaceful, um, calming. You know, for my mental health anyway, it makes such a big difference. Um, I don't know about you. Absolutely. Um, I think part of the thing that happens, especially in the winter here, you're stuck inside and you can't appreciate the outdoors at all. Um, when I was taking care of Olive, Christina's dog, she lives so close to Prospect Park and one of the days was just so nice. It was a beautiful fall day and I took uh, both of our dogs out to the park and it was glorious. It was so great for my mental health to go out there and spend the entire day out with the dogs. I had been going through a hard time because I had been laid off from somewhere I had been working for for about four years. Mm -hmm. And just getting out and hanging out by myself. I mean, no other really humans around except for just me and dogs um, and nature. And, um, you know, it's it's hard to, to get out there, especially in the neighborhood that I live in now. It's uh, Ridgewood in Queens. There's no parks around. Mm -hmm. um, so any chance I get to go to Prospect Park or go to Central Park um, to go do like an outdoor concert uh, in the summer, I definitely take the opportunity to go out and, and go appreciate and see that. It's also really hard um, when you combine so many of these different factors together. Uh, we live in the quote-unquote concrete jungle, and combined with not having easy access to outdoors or anything doubling for outdoors um, with just being always on, always connected. You mm -hmm. know, we always have our phones. Um, that kind of information overload is so overwhelming. And, you know, it can lead to a kind of subconscious creep um, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think it's not even something that most people realize. Um, you know, one of the things that I like to do is just turn everything off. Um, 
and even like every day i have so many little notifications i only keep the bare essentials um it's hard i think uh for those of us in tech and especially you in social media like balancing that how do you how do you take care of yourself and also you know earn money yeah um i think when i when i first got into social media um i was not affected by information overload um i thrived on it i consistently wanted to be connected and i enjoyed it but over the past maybe two years or so i've had to take a step back it's finally taken its toll um i am not on social media as much as i used to be um and i i i think a lot of it has to do with being tired of listening to people talk about themselves and social media is so much about that especially for someone who is interested in building their personal brand who's interested in getting attention for themselves um seeing people like kim kardashian make millions of dollars off the attention economy all she has to do is take her clothes off and millions and millions of people see it and talk about it and there are thousands of articles written about it and clickbait and it's too much now it's too much and it it's easy to get caught up in it but it's just as easy to turn it off and to let go of your phone for just a few hours so you can gather your thoughts if you're constantly reading clicking, clicking through, clicking, reading, clicking, clicking, reading, mm-hmm. keeping up with so many people. You just need to stop, just stop it. And that's what I've done over the past two years is let go. At, when when my job is over, when I'm done, I I don't get on Twitter. I don't get on Instagram. I don't post selfies of myself as much anymore because what i am because i just don't matter right (laughs) nothing matters and we all die and that's a really (laughs) grim way to look at the world yeah but it's the easiest way to remember that everything you're reading and clicking on doesn't matter either it's so true um you know last night i got i got home a little late and i jumped on um the ps4 and i got into group chat with some friends and uh, we were just joking around, and one of the first things I said was, you know, we're all dying anyway. Like, we're literally dying right now. Um, and I think the comment came out of, like, oh, where have you been? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, what's the point, you know, um, if I don't take the time for myself? And if mm-hmm. I don't, you know, make sure that I'm sane, then mm-hmm. everything else is kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. Um I think even more so in this, you know, you said attention economy. Um, Can you go a little bit more into that? And like, because this is something that you had more exposure to than I have. Yeah. I mean, my job is marketing. My job is to reach people and let them know about the product that I'm trying to raise awareness for or trying to sell. And attention is valuable. And 
it costs a lot of money to get people's attention, especially if you're not that great at telling a story. Um, if you don't have the right person telling your story. Um, and very recently I've been thinking a lot about influencers, for example, and how they use their image to get attention for themselves and build a community of people that I don't even understand what, what, what the point is <laughs> for some of these influencers who are like beauty bloggers. They all say the same thing. They all sound the same. They all almost look the same. Um, and what's the point? Why are you following this person who talks about themselves all day long, posts about themselves all day long? For what? Like, how, what are you getting out of it? Um, but those people are so valuable to marketers. And you need to reach out to them and give them $30,000 for a five-minute Snapchat story so you can sell your stupid piece of shit bag of candy. <laughs> uh, am I a marketer that hates their job? No, I don't. But I, I find it funny sometimes what you have to do to get people's attention. <laughs> do you think it's kind of like a catch-22? Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it, um, in this modern era where you have so many intangible things and also so many tangible things, like the material, like materialism is, has never been higher. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we were talking about that a little bit at brunch. We were, yeah. um, you know, we were talking about, having less stuff mm -hmm. and how important that is. Um, I think just for your own mental space. Um, when I moved into my new place, I got rid of half of my comic book collection. I got mm -hmm. rid of most of my clothes. Um, and I'm a little bit happier for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were talking about Marie Kondo mm -hmm. and her book, uh, The Art of Tidying. I think it's called, and how important it is to only have things that you're emotionally attached to. Um, and obviously, you know, the bare essentials that you need to survive, like cookware and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everything else doesn't matter mm -hmm. at the end of it because then you die and then <laughs> there's no point. I like how this podcast has gotten very dark so really dark. fast. <laughs> um but I think it's important to talk about these kinds of things and to talk about mental health with your friends and with loved ones, with your family. Um, I know that I didn't even really know what that was until I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe this is true for the Latino community, especially maybe Mexican-Americans. I grew up um, in a Mexican household and we never talked about feelings. We never yeah. talked about the anxiety that was brought from the job that my mother worked, you know, 50 hours, 60 hours a week, where she was stuck behind a desk and, and completely miserable. We never talked about that. You know, we never talked about my father's alcoholism. It was 
not something that I knew about. And so, I don't know, I think it's important to talk about this kind of stuff, even though it can get kind of kind of dark yeah. <laughs> and a little heavy. Um, but life is heavy. Life, yeah, it is. And um, like I like I mentioned earlier, to go back to consumerism and things that you own. Um, I said that I had lost my job in, and it was in August. I had been unemployed for about three months. I took some time. I was upset about it, and I needed to just be by myself. Mm-hmm. And I actually used that time to clean. That's all I was doing, and it helped me to have this space that I called my own, a home that I enjoyed coming to every day, even though I really never left my house because I didn't really have a job to go to. But um, I'd wake up, walk my dog, uh, make coffee. It became a ritual. Mm -hmm. Put on a record, dust, sweep, put everything away from the night before. Um, And organize things and throw away stuff and purge Mm -hmm. until it became a place that I felt comfortable in. And so many things, I got rid of so many things, um, mostly clothes. I am a clothes hoarder. I love fashion. That's another thing that I struggle with constantly because I love fashion, but I also hate spending money on something that's going to go in a dump and destroy the earth and it's just a constant cycle of like what what's the point why am i trying to look like a fashion blogger like why does it matter why am i spending so much money to get like a purse that costs a thousand dollars that i can wear for one season and why because i'm going to enjoy it for a few months and then what? I'm going to get another one a month later or two months later. Um, so for that, I mean, for that book, Marie Kondo's book, uh, I think that's a really important, you know, deciding whether you really love something and then just trying to get rid of everything else Absolutely. because you need space to breathe. And I learned that while I was unemployed and I was home constantly. You just needed, especially in New York, space mm-hmm. is so hard to come by especially if you're unemployed and you don't have money (laughs) to afford space. Um, So living with less really helped. I think it's also um, really, I don't think irony is the right word, um, but this kind of vicious cycle of materialism Mm -hmm. and mental health Mm -hmm. and how they're so um, linked together. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were mentioning buying all these expensive things and you don't know why. and I think, you know, it's so it's so heavily tied to this kind of rooted unhappiness that most people have in their lives these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't know how to deal with it. So they turn to stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that, you know, not talking about feelings or anything, that's not, that's also not exclusive to the Latino community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of immigrants in this country have that too. I know I did growing up also. You know, feelings were not something that you talked about. Um, and that's something, you know, I discovered growing up myself, um, my parents, my family, we discovered it together. And I think, you know, 
the more you realize these things, um, the at the same time, you know, in the in the beginning, it can be a little overwhelming to recognize the reality of the life that we're in. But then you start to become at peace with it, and I think that's where um, this happiness slash status state of mind um, or the status quo, this Zen peacefulness comes in, and you know, happiness is a little overrated, but just being content with where you are, with what you have, with what you're doing. And, um, you know, a lot of it also ties into what you do for work. What, what do you do for a living? Um, are you content with the place that you have in society, in the world, and what you're contributing to it? Mm -hmm. um, is that something you want to do? And, you know, a lot of that is also tied to privilege and whether or not you can afford to, literally and figuratively, to pursue that kind of um, behavior mm -hmm. but at the same time you know it it's so important to be self-aware of all these things um, and I do think that it's really important and I wish more people would would do that yeah I um I certainly have been running a lot into uh privilege and checking my own privilege and realizing how lucky I am, and it helps. It helps to, it helps uh, helps you forget about the things that you worry about or the things that upset you, um, and just being appreciative. And I think that's certainly something that my mom instilled in me. We grew up very poor, and um, it's it was easy when I was younger to get caught up in our poverty because I grew up in such a rich school district and all my friends um, were not rich, but well off. Some, some were, some were rich, but um, it was easy to get upset because I couldn't get a pair of jeans that I wanted or I couldn't get a car that I wanted and everyone else around me had that. Um, but at the same time, like, you got to check yourself. I was young. I didn't know any better. And you have to take a step back and realize like, oh, you know, your mother's working really fucking hard to get you here. Like, why are you acting like a brat? <laughs> and um, I constantly come back to that state of mind of being a teenager and being a total brat, you know, when I'm now 31 years old. And I say, oh, why do I need that pair of sunglasses that I'm looking at? You know, mm -hmm. like, what? why are you being a brat, <laughs> essentially? And um, I don't know. It, it's funny. It's also, um, it's really interesting because the more money someone has, the more likely they are to uh, say that, oh, money doesn't matter. Um, but the less <laughs> money you have, that's all you think about. Yeah. And that materialism is what drives you. And not even materialism, it's just about survival. Um, and then that kind of ends up snowballing, I think, into into materialism. And then, you know, then you realize that, oh, money isn't everything. And it's kind of this weird cycle that mm -hmm. I don't know, like, if we're ever going to break out of as in, you know, as a society. Um, never. No. 
Um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah. Grow, growing up poor in, in South Texas, you know, it was um, interesting, uh, an interesting upbringing. It was very different from where I live now and even when I was living in Austin um, because the community was about 80% Hispanic mm -hmm. and the poverty rate was sky high. Um, everyone there, almost everyone there was poor unless you were white, <laughs> um, which is insane. Um, it, it's funny to me that um, I was going to talk about my aunt. My aunt, um, she um, started off as an artist, didn't have a lot of money. Um, I was absolutely in love with her when I was a little girl. I would go and stay at her house all the time and um, we would have drawing contests and, um, you know, she had two kids and we would play video games together. That's how I got exposed to Atari and Nintendo and Super Nintendo. And they, mm -hmm. they had like all the video game systems. It was it was a blast. Um, and I loved my aunt. But then she and her husband started their own business and they became well off. They, they did really well from the, themselves. And it's great. They have a beautiful home. My uncle has all these amazing classic cars now that are just gorgeous. Um, I imagine he, I just imagine him riding around in his like blue drop top 60s. I don't even know what year it is. Like I'm going to make up a year, 69 Corvette uh, in South Texas and just enjoying the sunshine. But their values changed as soon as they started making money, as soon as they became well well off they're not rich but they're really well off they have a big home and a big ranch but um and now they're republican i don't understand i don't get it how did you forget where you came from okay. how did you forget the poverty that you grew up in and how are you gonna deny helping those who are less fortunate than you so that you could continue to make lots and lots of money um, I was just talking to somebody about that same effect, um, my dad and my cousin yesterday. Uh, there was a letter that came out. Um, there's this Tumblr called Letters to President Obama.tumblr.com, I think that's the address. And um, they published a letter that they received, uh, and it was really, you know, heartwarming. And it was by this diehard Republican. And he started off by saying that, you know, um, I voted against you both terms and um, I voted against the Affordable Care Act. And I didn't realize that I was shooting myself in the foot. Um, and, you know, thank you for saving my life because now I got the treatment that I needed because I was able to get health insurance. And, you know, we were calling it empathy which is exactly what it is. I think it's really hard for whatever reason, whether it's cultural, whether it's sociological, whether it's um, religious. There's so many different factors at play here, but also, you know, just the simple idea, that simple um, life skill of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And it's scary to me how many people don't have that. Um, and not just don't have that, they don't want to have it. 
And it's harder, obviously, to kind of instill that in someone when they're a grown person. But just kind of instilling those values into kids, um, that's so important because, you know, life isn't just about you. Um, it's about the people around you. The people that you care about are obviously important. But also, we're all on this planet together. Um, and it's just mind-boggling. Now I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking a little bit about that, too, uh, about drinking and about, I guess, I don't know, what would you call what you're doing now? You you decided to take a break. Yeah. Um, I've been sober since October. Uh, greatest rhyme pun ever. <laughs> I didn't plan it. Um, but I think, you know... I was in a weird place last year, and I realized that I needed to take a break for myself. And one of the things that helped was to step away from alcohol. And it's it helped so much, um, just being able to think clearly. Um, I hadn't realized how much of a spiral alcohol can put you in, even if you don't become a, an alcoholic by the clinical definition. Um, it can still blind you to so many things. It can cloud your judgment. And this I'm just speaking for myself, of course, but, um, you know, I don't know where I would be now if I hadn't stopped drinking. Um, I know a few people have, that have done this. I know a couple of people that are starting to do this. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, I feel maybe it's a bit of a trend. I've certainly seen a lot of trend pieces uh, floating around the internet about it. I have a few friends who decided, you know what, this is the year that I'm going to take a step back, not only from alcohol, but from caffeine as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's an ultra like health conscious, and it's not just about eating the right things, but also drinking the right things now too. And that's also, um, I think, that's a symptom of a overarching realization by people about how the things you ingest affect your mental health mm -hmm. um you know and that's great mm -hmm. um i'm really happy for everyone who chooses to make decisions in their lives that benefits you know their longevity and their sanity mm -hmm. um yeah yeah um last year my husband and i did a dry january but um, and it was it was fine. I think the first few weeks were difficult because I had gotten into, and I'm still in this cycle of drinking almost every day. Um, get home. Uh, I have a full bar. Uh, our fridge is, always has beer, and we almost always have at least two bottles of wine in the house, um, which makes for a great party. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, this is every day and I see that I, I come home and I see it and I crave it. Um, the only time I don't drink is when I'm sick. Right. And even when I'm sick, I wish I were not sick anymore so I could have a drink. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems like a problem that's uniquely American. Um, I don't hear about many of these issues happening overseas 
when it comes to alcoholism and this culture of binge drinking mm-hmm. um, and drinking so much that you forget to take care of yourself um, mentally. And I don't know why that is. Um, there's definitely a lot of it rooted in American culture when it comes to going to a bar, um, having a drink, or this stereotype of, I had a bad day at work, I'm going to go have a drink with colleagues or friends instead of processing mm-hmm. why I had a bad day at work, mm-hmm. um, what I can do about it, being in a better place, and then having a drink for other reasons, mm-hmm. um, having a drink just as a beverage, just you know to lighten me up before bed or as a, uh, as a nightcap, mm-hmm. right? Um, what do you think about that? Um, I, I'm sure there are other cultures who have the same problem. Um, I know Mexico is one of them. Um, my family is from Mexico and, and, you know, I have quite a few aunts and uncles who still live there and, uh, quite a few very close family friends. Um, one close family friend in particular, uh, my husband and I would go and have, uh, Thanksgiving with them quite often and spend Christmas with them. And there was always wine and there was always tequila. Um, It was part of the culture. And um, uh, I can't say that I've been exposed to many others. I haven't traveled very much. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I imagine other um, countries who have people living there who have expendable incomes. have also have that problem uh, with alcohol and alcoholism and um, dealing with those sorts of things. Um, I struggle with it every day and I'm conscious of it, of what I'm doing and question myself every time I have a drink, um, especially when I'm, it's, I'm at home and it's just my husband and I. Um, And I think it's because I'm afraid I'm going to end up like my father. You know, I'm going to be binge drinking every night until I'm totally wasted and can't control myself. And I wake up hungover every day. Um, Am I there yet? No. But on the days that I wake up with a hangover, I completely regret it, as everyone does, I'm sure, because it hurts. Mm -hmm. But because I feel that shame of being addicted to it. Why do you think, um, what is it about that dichotomy between that shame and then reaching for that second glass that same night? Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you think that there's that disconnect? Not just for you, but also other people too. Well, for me, it, it helps me sleep. So when I do get a second, sometimes even third glass of whiskey, for example, because that's what I've been drinking recently, um, I need it because I'm, I'm so wired from the day, I, you know, the coffee that I'm drinking, the constant source of, of information that I'm reading and thinking about, I need to relax and the alcohol helps me put me in that state of mind that um, 
trying to think of the brain wavelength that it puts me in. Is it B or A? I can't remember. But to help relax me. And so at that point, at 11 p.m. at night, when I know I need to go to bed so I can wake up and do it all over again, I need that second or third glass, and I'm not thinking about the shame. It's always the first glass. The first glass is like, okay, why do I need this? It's 8 p.m. I just got home. Why am I going to start drinking? Because I'm addicted to it. And that's where the shame comes in. But then after that, it's just, I need to go to sleep, and I need this. Got it. Thank you for sharing all this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I think it's it's always hard to talk about these things in public, um, not just in public, but with other people also. I think anything concerning our state of mind or mental health, discussing it has such a taboo in mm-hmm. society, um, and that goes back to not knowing how to deal with it from when we were kids, and uh, you know, it's something that I'm struggling with also. Um, I've been closed off for a very long time. And very recently, I've started opening up again, talking about my issues with people around me, um, with people that I may not know or be comfortable with. And I think it's a good thing. I think, you know, more people should feel comfortable um, to talk about these things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can only change yourself. So Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, um, gonna go, gonna quote Gandhi here. You know, you be the change that you wish to see. But I think you know, hopefully, over time, more people become comfortable to think about it, to talk about it, and then you know, one by one, we'll all be a little bit healthier. Yeah, being conscious of what you're struggling with and what others are struggling with is certainly a really good step forward. Um. Because the next step is actually doing something about it. And uh, that's pretty hard to get there. Absolutely. But at least, you know, taking that first step and talking to your friends and talking to family about the things you're struggling with, whether it's alcoholism, depression, anxiety, um, whatever it might be, even if you're just sad in general, it helps. It helps a lot. And also, uh, being sad is not a bad thing. No, either. it's not. Um, have you seen that Pixar movie, Inside Out? Mm, I don't think so. Remind me of what that is. Um, it's a fantastic movie. Um, it's about the different characters. So they personify the different emotions that someone might have. And it's about a teenage girl's emotional state. Um, so you have anger, you have happiness, you have sadness... Um, you have a bunch of these different kind of personified emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and in true Disney fashion, you know, you have laughs, you have cries, but I think it does a really good job of showing that, you know, you don't need to be happy all the time. It's okay if you're sad, but also that, you know, it's all about a balance of all these different things that um, make you content and, you know, being self-aware and just living your life. Yeah, absolutely. I now I know which movie you're talking about. Yeah, I saw that. It was really good. Yeah. Um, Mindy Kaling was in it, right? Yeah, she, she did was. one of the voices. Yeah, I forgot which character she played. Envy? No. Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. 
I'll look it up afterwards. <laughs> okay, I need to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It was a good movie. It was. That was very heavy. <laughs> um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me.